Is Christ sufficient for our every need and every challenge? Absolutely and utterly. And as you go into this new week, thank Him that He is and walk with Him each day. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. We break into Mark chapter 5, verse 21, and you'll find it on page 1559, page 1559 in the Church Bible, as we're reading Mark chapter 5, and reading verses 21 to 43, but I'll read the first half at this point in our service, and then later on in our study this morning, we'll pick up and read the rest of the passage. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Mark writes these words. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. If you worship with us regularly or watch us on Sunday morning on television, you will know that over the last six or seven weeks, we have embarked on a series of studies entitled The Contagious Church. This week, we've come finally to contagious engagement. And that sense of contagious engagement is going to run through our study this morning. And in this early part of our study, I would like to ask you to do this, to use your imagination. And in your imagination, become for me, please, at least for the next five minutes or so, a 24-year-old girl, completed college, your studies were in business management. For the last two years, you've been enjoying a new job. Things are going well. For the first time, you have a little income, and life could not possibly be better. Your closest friend, whom you've known since kindergarten, primary or elementary school, through into high school, studied with at college, both of you are at exactly the same age and stage, both been working the last couple of years, and life is good. 
And this past Friday, she has texted you and said, are you free tomorrow morning? Let's meet and have coffee. And so yesterday morning, you sat down at a Starbucks or a coffee shop, and you recognize that she's got some exciting news, and you can't wait to find out what it is. And so as soon as you sit down, you say to her, well, tell me, what, what is it? What's your news? And she says, rather animatedly, well, over the last nine months, as you know, Tom and I have been dating. And last week, he asked me to move in with him. I just don't know what to do. What do you think? Hold that thought. We'll come into Mark chapter 5. Look at Jairus and this lady who is unknown. And then we'll come back and answer the question. And I wanted to put that question front and center this morning for this reason. Because in the midst of all of our recent studies, one of the other things we've been asking ourselves is this. How do we equip ourselves and then engage in radical, gospel-driven, personal relationships? Because we know that if God equips us Sunday by Sunday from His Word, He expects His Word to shape and fashion our lives. Come with me, please, to the passage. Jesus, of course, crosses over the sea or the lake of Gennesaret. A large crowd gather. And at this point in His ministry, Jesus has conducted one miracle after another. And in fact, in chapter 4, that He has, in fact, uh, stilled the storm in the Sea of Galilee. And whenever He is seen, hundreds of people are gathering around Him to see if He's going to perform another one to listen to his teaching, to watch lives impacted by that teaching. And so, as he gets off the boat at the other side of the lake of Gennesaret, people crowding around him, one of the synagogue rulers, Jairus, runs to him, falls at his feet, and says, my daughter is dying. Please come and help her. Now, let me encourage you to use your imagination once again. If you are a parent or a grandparent, at some point in your life, I suspect you have thought to yourself, I could not simply cope if something were to happen to my children. And parents and grandparents know that it is the most devastating pain imaginable to have a child die. And dads, if you have a daughter who's 12 years old or even older than that or younger than that now, you would swap with that child in a heartbeat if it was possible. You wouldn't even think it through. You would rather die than them. That gives you a sense of the emotion going through Jairus that morning as he comes to Christ and says, my daughter is dying, please come and help her. And Jesus, of course, does exactly that. Now, remember who Jairus is. Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's a spiritual leader in the community. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows who his daughter is. He is, in terms of religion, he's on the inside. But as you move from verses 34 and 35 and into 36, the narrative goes in a direction you don't immediately see. And as Jairus and Jesus are making their way to the home of Jairus, what happens? Here is this lady 
who has been hemorrhaging for the last 12 years. And she is the opposite of Jairus. She's unknown. She's not a leader in the community. She's not a spiritual leader in any sense. In fact, it's the opposite. She's unknown, and she's an outcast. And she's an outcast for two reasons. And the first is this, that people around her would see her going by, know she has been struggling with her health for the last 12 years, and they would be saying something like this. If she was really living the life she ought to, if she was obedient to the commandments of God, surely He would have healed her by now. I think there's some kind of hidden sin in her life that she's experiencing the judgment of God. There can't possibly be other, any, any other kind of explanation. That's what's wrong with her. And because she's been hemorrhaging, she probably has a skin infection that would be visible on her hands, her arms, her face for others to see. She would be lethargic and anemic, constantly picking up infection, and people would be keeping their distance. And it's for all those reasons that she, with anonymity, very quietly pushes her way through the crowd without drawing attention to herself and thinks, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, that will be enough. Now understand what's going on in her mind. She's heard of Jesus of Nazareth. She's heard of the miracles. She's heard of his teaching. She's heard of the impact of his life. And she thinks if he can do it for them, surely he can do it for me. And here is the question we'll come back to again and again and again. She had to ask herself, is Christ sufficient for the challenges which lie before me, or do I need someone or something else? Jairus had the same question, and we'll come back to him in a moment. But that day, that lady had to step out by faith and make a commitment. Can I trust Him? Can I trust Him with all that lies before me? And can I trust Him for my eternal salvation as well? That's what was going on. Is He and He alone sufficient? That was what was going through her mind. And of course, as she touches the hem of His garment, she is instantly, spectacularly, in a supernatural sense, she is utterly healed, and it washes all over her, and she realizes what has taken place. But she's not the only one who realized what had taken place. Now, remember, Jesus and Jairus are on the way to see his 12-year-old, and Jesus stops. He turns around, and he says, who touched me? And of course, the disciples, being the disciples, say, Master, there's all sorts of people brushing up against you. We're in the middle of a crowd. What do you mean, who touched me? And Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. It tells us that in the passage. And the question in my mind as I was preparing this week and reading and studying and thinking was this, why doesn't Jesus simply look heavenward smile and prayerfully say, Father, thank you, and move on. 
Why does he stop? Why does he insist on looking round the crowd and not moving till this lady steps forward and tells him what has happened? Now, remember, she has come with anonymity, quietly, not wanting to be in the spotlight, not wanting to draw attention to herself, and Jesus stops everything and will not move till she steps forward. And when she steps forward, the passage says this, she stepped forward trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. Now, all of that is going on here, but remember over here is Jairus. And Jairus is looking at all of this taking place, and he's thinking, come on, my daughter is dying. Time is of the essence. She's been bleeding for 12 years. You can come back in 30 minutes and deal with her. Come on. And I suspect all of that is running through his mind. And over here, the lady steps forward, trembling with fear. Now, why is she trembling with fear? Because she understands this, that when you engage with the living God, you can never remain the same thereafter. You cannot, because when the divine reaches from heaven and touches the soul of an individual, we are changed forever, never to be the same again. And the power of His love and grace simply washes over us and transforms us and changes us. And when you go through such an experience, it is an unsettling and an unnerving experience. And new Christians will tell you from time to time, they knew what was happening, but they couldn't work it all out because the magnitude of it was so great. But she knew the gravitas of what had happened. She had been healed, and no one else could heal her. For 12 years, she spent all she had, and instead of getting better, she grew worse. And now, at last, think of the sense of relief as she is healthy again, able now to touch her children, no longer unclean, able to brush their hair and give them meals and go to the synagogue on Saturday and worship and no longer an outcast. And she realized that the hand of God Almighty had healed her and transformed her, and she could begin her life all over again. No wonder she trembled with fear. And why did Jesus call her out of the crowd? Because he needed her to understand this, that it's not the clothes that make the man. It is the love and grace and power of God. And in Christ, she discovered for herself the Lord God Almighty in all of His wonder and glory was right there. And she felt it and she knew it. And he wanted to establish with her that her relationship with him would be at the very center of her life from that point on. So let me ask you this morning, if you're visiting here perhaps for the first time, if you've come here for years, if you're watching by television, listening on the internet, allow me to ask you this 
Do you know what it means to have your heart and soul transformed by the power of the gospel? Do you know what it means to be transformed inwardly and set on a new path and have your sin forgiven and to be overwhelmed by His mercy and His love and His grace and know what it means to have intimacy with the living God? That's the power of the gospel. That's what's going on right here. A life of trust and surrender was now complete because she discovered that Christ was sufficient for her every need. Now, all of that was happening there. And here is Jairus watching from a distance, shaking his head, thinking, please, please move on. And up alongside Jairus comes a servant and whispers in his ear, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jairus, I think we would understand entirely if he steps over to Jesus and very quietly says, my daughter is dead. I need to go and be with my wife and my family. Thank you. And quietly slip away. We would understand that. It's entirely natural. But as the passage tells us, what comes next? It is mind-blowing. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And those two words are the linchpin in this passage. Why bother? Why bother? Why bother trusting in Him? Why bother handing your life over to Him? Jairus, you're a synagogue ruler. You're on the inside. Everyone knows you. You're a leader in the community. You're a spiritual leader in the community. You no longer have to bother with this Jesus of Nazareth. And incidentally, He's simply a teacher. Why bother? And then we have those wonderful words recorded by Mark. Ignoring what they said. Jesus spoke to Jairus. Can you think of another passage in Scripture where Jesus ignores what someone says? But it's right there. Ignoring what they said. He turned to Jairus, looked him in the face, man to man, eye to eye, and says, Jairus, you have a decision to make. Jairus, lying before you is a step of faith. It will be the most important, most difficult, most challenging decision you will ever make. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus, I will not give up on you. I will not abandon you. I will come with you and understand this. Jairus, I have power over life and death. You have just seen it, and we can help your daughter. And Jairus, to his everlasting credit, walks with Christ back to his home. And when he gets to his home, what happens next? Every time I read it, I smile. Jesus goes into the family home, and he says, do not worry. She's not dead. She's asleep. 
And then you have another passage in Scripture you don't find anywhere else, and it says this, then they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They thought, how absurd, how absurd. Why has he come all this way to upset and bother this family? Has he no feelings for them? Doesn't he care for them? Does he have no sensitivity? The whole town is gathering. A huge crowd have come, and he's going to embarrass himself and embarrass them. And then Mark wonderfully adds another line. After putting them all out of the house, and that which was public now becomes private, And please understand this, that Christ will always, always, always come into your life at your point of greatest need and challenge. And he had no desire for a crowd of people to go up the stairs into the bedroom of a 12-year-old. He wanted it to be private and intimate And so mum and dad and Peter and James and John go with him up the stairs. He takes the little girl by the hand. He speaks to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And he speaks with great intimacy in the language her parents would have used, and he brings her back to life, to life. And a resurrection happens right there. That's the supernatural engagement of God. That's why we know He is sufficient for our every need and every need we will ever have. And Jairus learned that morning for the rest of his days that when you give your life over to Christ, you can never be the same again. The lesson was felt and sensed and was a living reality 15 minutes before, and now for Jairus the same again. Now, throughout this narrative this morning, as we have gone deeper and deeper and deeper in, what have we discovered? We have discovered this, that radical, gospel-driven, personal relationships is the call of God upon our lives. We tend to allow the digital playground that we enjoy to shape and fashion our lives rather than the gospel and the work of God Himself. And with that principle in mind, let's go back to our first picture this morning as we try and round everything up. Our first picture was this, that you are a 24-year-old girl You're sitting down having coffee with your best friend. No one closer. No one you love more. Want the very, very best for her. And she asks you point blank, should I move in with my boyfriend? What do you say? How do you communicate your response? Because you are asked to be actively involved in radical engagement of gospel-driven personal relationship. What do you say? You have a living faith. You know what it means to be touched by the gospel. You love the Lord. You want to follow Him. Holiness of life is a priority for you. You want to be obedient to His Word. What do you say? And she asks, 
Should I move in with him? And you say, well, tell me a little more. Do you really love him? Yes. In fact, I think he's the one for me. Why do you want to move in together? Because I think we're ready to take this relationship to the next level. And I want us to become intimate. And that's the key to unlock the problem. Because when someone says, I want to be intimate, your response is this. Do you want to be intimate in a physical way? Yes. Do you want to have trust and vulnerability and openness in that relationship? And you want to enter into a loving relationship physically as well as emotionally from this point on? Yes, yes. But do you want oneness and trust and intimacy in every area of your life? Yes. Well, if you want love and trust and intimacy and vulnerability in your economic aspect of your life? Yes. Do you want love and trust and oneness in all of the legal aspects of your life? Yes. In that case, it's called marriage. It's marriage. It's commitment, not convenience, and it's not convenience in one area in your life, but in every area of your life physically, emotionally, psychologically, and when you are willing to stand in front of your friends and your family and look each other in the eye, hold each other in the hand, and take those vows that say, I am committed to you and you alone exclusively for the rest of my life, then you've got trust, then you've got openness, then you've got oneness, then you've got intimacy, not in one part, but every part of your life. That's the wonder of the gospel. And remember, these two wee girls have been told all their lives through sitcoms and cartoons and music and books that living together is fine. But please understand me when I say this, and let me say it as tenderly and as gently as I can. Because as a pastor, I pick up the bits and pieces of life when it doesn't work out because there hasn't been trust and oneness and vulnerability and commitment in every area of their life. Those are tough conversations to have, but we're called to have them, and we're called to radically engage in gospel-driven relationships. That's when you know you are living a contagious life, engaged with the living God and engaged with the culture around you. Is Christ sufficient for our every need and every challenge? Absolutely and utterly. And as you go into this new week, thank Him that He is and walk with Him each day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this overwhelming passage of Scripture. Thank you for all that it teaches us. 
thank you that you call us to be radically engaged in gospel-driven personal relationships as we seek to engage with those we love. Lord Jesus Christ, walk with us this week. Strengthen us, enable us, and equip us. For we ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.